five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Podcast on the internet. Always an appropriate song to play during an eclipse. Bonnie Tyler. I think Bonnie Tyler's big mistake career-wise was that she did not go to Nashville. That woman had Nashville written all over her. Look at that. She's got that Nashville kind of kind of Dolly Parton look about her. You know what's funny about that video is the audience. There's this one guy. Let me show you this. There's always the random shit that shows up in these videos. Let's see. It's like this guy here. It's like Lynn Poe. Decided to stop in the top of the pops or whatever this thing is. Nobody else is dressed like this except for Lin Poe. <laughs> what is going on there? Anyway, a, you know, a great song. Who does not like Total Eclipse of the Heart? And the urgency, the absolute urgency. She She needs you tonight more than ever. Man, it's a lot of urgency. Just has to feel that 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 light emanating once that eclipse passes. The reconnection of the feeling. Another thing that she could have done is a duet with Steven Tyler, Bonnie Tyler and Steven Tyler together. That would have been interesting. That would have been that. Would, but she would have had to have moved to Nashville. Bonnie, if I'd had your career, you'd be right up there with Barbara Mandrell. Trust me on this. How is everybody? Um, we are in the eclipse zone. The eclipse phase, it already has eclipsed. It was early this morning, if you didn't catch it. And the uh, the beaver moon is the first full moon of November because it signifies when the busy beavers build their little dams so that they can have their uh, their cozy little domiciles over the fall and winter months. Have you ever watched the beavers build their dams? They have, they have these documentaries on the beavers. And uh, man, very sophisticated, extremely, 
I mean, they've got like places where they can hatch a little beavers, warmer places, places where they trap fish. I mean, you know, these are not just, they're not just dams. They're like ecosystems. They're like, they're, you know, they're, they're, it's, they've created an entire sort of web for their life inside of these dams. And uh, they're incredible. They go on the land and they, you know, bring the wood in and do all this stuff. It's amazing, actually. Anyway, the beaver moon is the first full moon of November. But then you throw the bloody beaver moon in because it's also a blood moon, which means it's close theoretically because the atmosphere, the atmosphere of the planet makes the moon look orangish red oxide, right? So it's a bloody, bloody beaver moon. Could you imagine having maybe somebody out there could, could tell us what this is like? having a menstrual cycle on an eclipse that that would be interesting that would be very a lunar eclipse not a solar eclipse a lunar eclipse like would that be the menstrual cycle from hell or would you feel this kind of primordial sort of power welling up inside of you right it's like go sleep in the other room (laughs) i can't live with that that's what the Native Americans used to do, supposedly, right? The women would all, they would all menstruate together and they'd hang out in the, in the moon lodge. The moon lodge. That was part of my uh, bow Native American shamanic studies back in the early 80s, where I, I was taught these things. Anyway, how is everybody today? We got a big, 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 really big show, big election ahead of us. If you're listening to the uh, podcast, podcast side of things, welcome. You know what I got to do now? I got to give some love up for true hemp science. Yes, indeed. Um, I got my gummies. Let me tell you, these are some powerful gummies. And Chris even even gave me a warning here. Let me just, I'm going to read his warning. Let's go into the website here. This is what he said to me. I just thought you should know my take on the 105 milligram gummies. Uh, they're spicy. They are spicy. I like the spicy. Like it gives you a little almost uh, hot pepper flavor. Not Not like like a, a a kind of like a hot black pepper flavor. They're spicy. And some people may find them too intense. 100 milligrams of CBD oil is a decent amount. So one of the things you can do is if you get the gummies, cut them in half so that you can spread them out and basically uh, double your gummy experience. And I had them last night, had them the night before, and quality of my sleep it's back again thank you chris for that so we'll be streaming live from the world headquarters of true hemp science on friday i don't really have a guest lined up but if you're in the austin area and you want to stop by the store come on by chris may even have a special or two 
for that day. You never know. You never know unless you come by. So we'll be there on Friday at 12 noon uh, Central Standard Time. And uh, it may just be me and Chris and uh, the local flavor, if anybody decides to show up. Anyway, if you uh, decide that you want to get some of this fine CBD product, in my estimation, some of the finest that I've experienced, all you got to do is go to truehempscience.com backslash ref backslash 23. That's truehempscience.com backslash ref backslash 23. If you spend $100, you'll get some free product. And um, if you spend $150, you get free shipping. And it is a total win for everybody. It's a win for you as a consumer, as somebody who is incorporating CBD into their life on a daily basis, which is a good practice, actually. Um, it's a win for Chris because he gets to build his business. It's a win for me because, of course, Chris is a sponsor of the show. And so it is, as Alex Jones once said, a 360-degree win. So there you go. True Hemp Science. Did I go to the website? Oh, you've just been seeing me. Shit. Shit. Get a little taste of that website. It'll taste that true CBD where Mother Earth is our CEO. Can we come up with another, uh, like, name for, not name, can we use CEO in a, in a different term, in a different um, definition? Um, let's see, Mother Earth is our conscious entity I don't want to use the word overlord. That that just sounds a bit pretentious, doesn't it? Mother Earth is our conscious entity. Um, what Obi? I don't know. Obstetrician? I'll work on it. I have to work on it. Anyway, there's a little tram science for you. It's been a while, Chataria. But let's see where we are. Let's see where you are and how you're doing. All right. Who do we have here? We've got DJMC. What's going on, Michael? There he is, Ryan, right at the top there. What's going on, brother Ryan? Mark, yes, in the house. Here's Bo. What's going on, Mr. Kabuki Theater? Michael Pafford is here. Dark Commodore. Yes, that's me. Look at that. Look at that beaver moon. <laughs> I love it. All right. The ominous beaver. I know, right? Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? TJ, what's going on, Thomas? Garden Girl. Checking in from Western North Carolina. No blood moon this morning. Just fog. So the blood moon was obscured by fog. Cappy Carey. Checking in. What's going on, Cappy Carey? Good morning to you. There's the beautiful one. Wendy says she's here. Double B, Beth Berry. Who else do we have? Huckabuck, 411, and Sony. There's Sony. Everybody is here today. We have the lovely Kelly B. What's going on, Kelly B? 
Miss Scorpio, it's your season. Who else do we have? Muse gave me an idea for a song tomorrow. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, let's see. Roll Tide. They lost, didn't they? Over the weekend. I don't follow college football much. Not like you used to. Queen Lisa had a, had a, a tactical conversation with King Pat last night. Let's see. Who else do we have? Tur. Tur. I like that. Tur. King Pat is here. Look at that. I mentioned King Pat. Man, you gotta you gotta love Bonnie Tyler's commitment to that tune, man. You gotta love her commitment to that tune. Maurice 100, checking that box. What's going on, brother Maurice? JMP Love. Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Good to see you here. Uh, let's see who else do we have. Is this thing? No, that it wasn't an extended version. It's just the the regular old total eclipse of the heart. Boy, was her band dorky or what? That was a pretty dorky band. Let's see. She sounds desperate. Codependency is problematic. <laughs> Bo, you're funny. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. But you know, it was the 80s. That type of um melodramatic longing was uh was very marketable then. Uh well, and truly a voice of angelic razor blades. There, well, you could have gotten Kim Carnes. Think about that. What's going on, Sea Pines? Good to see you. I need Chataria tonight. Well, we're gonna have our thing tonight at 5 p.m. 4:30 for all the for all of you who are in the know. Uh, let's see who else do we have. My favorite love song is Queensryche. I don't believe in love. <laughs> there you go. Queensryche were a thing. I lived in Seattle when uh, Operation Mindcrime came out. And it was like you had grunge. You had the Posies, who were kind of this Seattle kind of power pop band. And then you had Queensryche. And somewhere between grunge and Queens, Queensryche, you had this band called Metal Church. That, that was, but Queensryche was like this, they were outliers in that scene. And they, after, after Operation Mindcrime, they were, they were really primed to be this kind of thinking man's kind of metal prog band. And it never quite worked out the way they uh, wanted it to. I think they're, I think Jeff Tate, the singer got into a fight with the rest of the band and you know how those things go. I actually think porcupine tree became a better version of Queens, right? But that's just me. All right. Let's see who else do we have here? Jane P loves. She's into uh lucidity, silent lucidity. We got some Queens, in the house. Queens, lovers in the house. That is so that's so cool. Look at look at that. There's some Queensryche love going on in the chat room. Yes, I picked up on some flannel shirts. I live in the country, you know. 
How have I been sleeping? I've been sleeping better. Thank you, JMP. Lyle Coyote, back from Birmingham, UK. Well, we're glad you're back. Yeah, the show with Danny was great. I would agree with that. Nish did, just did a show with Danny. Should be up tomorrow. Uh, I will proudly not be participating in the Dominion Sacrament to the Demon Horde today. Sort of black-pilled uh, uh, on being able to dismantle national... I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit, Scribe of Persia. I support you. Uh, let's see. Yes, it was Kim Carnes. She's got Betty Davis eyes. SJS, what's happening? We won't be here for my birthday. It's on Monday. Uh, well, I have a, an early happy birthday. We'll make sure you have a nice birthday song on Friday. How about that? There's always Sunday night, too. We'll always have Sunday night. Uh, let's see. There's my man, Steve. What's going on, brother Steve? Good to see you. Well, it's good to see your name, JMP. A lot of love in the room. A lot of love in the room. Tondar is here. Baby kept me up most of the night with complaints of the patriarchy. <laughs> that is so damn funny. Queensryche going through a renaissance right now with a better singer. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll have to put uh, Queensryche back on my musical radar. Now, I was living in Seattle when that Operation Mindcrime came out. Kind of a, a thematic rock opera album that was way ahead of its time about the surveillance state. And um, good, good for Greensreich. All right, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we can talk about the election. Um, which I think is going to be a shit show. And uh, for members, you'll be able to be a part of the live stream starting at 4.30 today. Um, you have the link. Um, I advise you to get there at 4.30. We have limited seats. And um, since the announcement got sent out to uh, both lists, uh, we sent a separate uh, email out to the members to get there early and get a seat just to make sure you get in. So everything kicks off at five. If you're there at four 30, there's a chance you'll get in and we'll be able to watch some of this stuff. Oh, by the way, apparently Fox has declared George Bush winner, not George Bush, uh, Joe Biden winner already for the 2024 election. Fox is called Biden uh, for 2024. So there you go. Those are the first returns from the uh, from the election. <laughs> I had it all lined up and I botched the fucking name. Bush, Biden, does it really matter? I mean, they both ultimately turned out like village idiots. I mean, even when George Bush was president, he was like a village idiot. I knew this guy who um <laughs> an interesting character. Um Ken. 
and he was, he was good buddies with Terrence McKenna. And he used to get high with Terrence all the time. So he has a lot of audio and video um, that he captured during those times when he and Terrence would get high and talk. And, and he actually put out a, a, a video. Um, of, I, I don't think it's them getting high, but um, it's Terrence casting his pearls of wisdom um, out into the world. He had actually done another video much earlier with Terrence called Alien Dreamtime. And uh, it was at an event that I was I was at in San Francisco uh, with Terrence McKenna, Sky Space Time Continuum, and my buddy Stephen Kent. It was a two-night affair, and uh, they shot this video and came out with a record. It was, you know, it was when Terrence McKenna was really at his peak. Anyway, the same guy was actually doing editing for the Bushes because he was from Texas, lived in Austin. So there was a connection there. And he told me this story. Um, I don't know how exactly it, it all like sort of came together, but the, the bones of the story are he was going back and forth with somebody connected to Bush about some video clip or something like that. And he used a quote uh, from one of the founding fathers in the email. I'm not sure why he chose the quote or used the quote, but whoever he was communicating with said, where, where did you find this? <laughs> and he said oh so-and-so saw it and they're like oh wow this is great can can we use it as part of his speech for the state of the union <laughs> and he said yeah sure of course and that's exactly what happened bush actually used that quote that this guy who was doing editing for him but also was blowing out all this stuff with Terrence McKenna. Um, he used it as a quote in passing on this email and they actually used it in the state. of the, You know, sometimes you, you, you look at stuff like that and you just have to say to yourself, there are a lot of times that these people are just fucking spitballing it. They're just spitballing it. They just get there. And like, okay, what do we do now? Until somebody tells them what to do, right? And it's, that was exactly one of those moments. It was exactly one of those moments. And they built a whole kind of part of his speech around that one point. He told me that story. I thought it was very funny. So sometimes these uh, figureheads really are, they're not as, powerful and omnipotent as they appear to be other times there are very calculated forces guiding them, but they're not i don't i don't think they're there i mean maybe with biden it's different but with bush i don't think it was a 24 7 operation i mean there were times when with bush he was definitely being handled and i brought this story up many times but there was a there was a about a two-hour documentary on mega churches, which I watched 
it was during that time, I think it was Bush's, towards the end of his first term, probably about um, 2003, maybe. Anyway, um, what, what's his name? Uh, Haggard. Ted Haggard was in the video. And I've said, I've told this story before. He was a big part of the video because um, <laughs> they were spending time uh, at his mega church in Colorado and some of these other mega churches. And it was about the relationship that Bush had with these pastors, like the 10 biggest pastors of these mega churches uh, around the country. And so what Bush would do is, um, before some of these state of the union speeches, he would sit down and they would have these conference calls with these, these 10 pastors or whatever. And they would have these talking points, you know, they would talk about, you know, verses in the Bible, um, what they meant. Right. So what Bush was doing is he and his team were kludging these biblical phrases and talking points and then he would insert them um in his in his speech and he would use a phrase like works of wonder he wouldn't use it in a strictly biblical sense but that's where the phrase comes from is works of wonder so it was almost like nlp and they were front loading a lot of these speeches so that Christians who would watch um, the State of the Union speeches would feel like Bush was speaking directly to them, and that really wasn't the case. He was just looking for talking points. And then in those mega churches, they would build on those talking points. So it was like this circular loop that was going on during the Bush administration. And that's when Pluto was in Sagittarius. And it was kind of the height of the mega church, right? It was during the time of the the new crusades, which was Christianity versus, you know, Islam, uh, based on whatever theoretically happened in uh, 2001 on 9-11. You can see a lot of that stuff with that whole Pluto and Sagittarius period. But then you begin to see, like, the death of the mega church and Ted Haggard. Uh, plays a huge role in that you know he, he gets busted for you know getting rub and tugs while he's on meth at a massage parlor in denver so you know pluto is also the end of something right it it, it brings like the you know the the final chapter right then theoretically something new is supposed to come out of that or rise out of that so when we saw that happen, right, with Pluto and Sagittarius, we were literally seeing sort of this rise of this cor corporatized religion with these mega churches and the, the hardcore programming that was going on via Bush. And then by the time he's done and this new crusade into the so-called Holy Lands and taking on Afghanistan and Iraq and the return to Babylon and all that stuff, right? Now that's over. And it's almost, you know, there's, it, it wasn't for a, an eight-year period because Pluto had been in Sagittarius before uh, Bush showed up, right? But when he leaves, Pluto changes signs. 
and it goes into Capricorn, and that's when Obama comes on the scene. And I just remember thinking, man, this Pluto and Capricorn is going to be fucking hell. It's just going to be hell. And I tried my best to uh, really dive into it and find ways to deal with things like austerity and and living with less because that's really what Pluto and Capricorn would ultimately have us in that place where I look around right now and we're, we're essentially being forced to deal or, with involuntary austerity. People have to spend less money because things are hot. That's what it is. It's involuntary austerity. And so we moved from the, 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 the height and the impact of religion to the height and the impact of the corporation, which we saw grow massively under Pluto and Capricorn. Go back and look at Amazon pre-2008. I mean, it's virtually not the same company. So Amazon pre-2008, you go back to Amazon in the 2000s, like 2002, 2003. I know that by 2006, Amazon was starting to get into media. They were starting to get into music, that Amazon music. And um, I think they're doing downloads, actually. And then they changed their model. But that was just like a different company. And it's really, once Pluto goes into Capricorn, is there any 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 uh, mistake that Capricorn that Amazon run by Capricorn Jeff Bezos takes off? Not at all. So we see the rise of the corporatic state with Pluto and Capricorn, and this is sort of if you look at Joseph Campbell talks about this. If you look at buildings, how theoretically buildings over time by their size show their, the importance that they have to the, uh, to the rest of society. So he goes back to, again, just play with his timeline. He goes back to churches and that churches and cathedrals were always the largest buildings in the community. And then eventually the churches and the buildings got displaced by these enormous castles and that we go from like kind of a theocracy to this different kind of rule with with uh, bloodlines and royalty. It's all part of the same thing. But then you have displacing the castles, even bigger, in many cases, would be the capital and state buildings, right? So now we have, we go from religion to uh, essentially this kind of feudalistic world right kind of in cahoots with religion and we go to the state capital and that becomes the biggest and most powerful thing again whether or not those buildings are inherited you know who knows and then we get to skyscrapers which become the next level of this kind of you know hierarchy and architecture which represents capricorn so what's interesting is this idea of where we go next, right? Because you think, oh my God, well, what's going to be bigger and taller than this gigantic skyscraper, Trump Tower, or whatever the requisite building is? Well, if you look at NEOM, which is the Saudi Arabians 
design for a new city, it is horizontal. Right? It's like it, it flips everything on its head. Hello, Pluto and Aquarius, which is really this kind of horizontal uh, modality of consciousness. Everybody's sort of democratic and everybody has, you know, the equal amount of right and say and vote and power and, you know, all those very nice sounding Aquarian ideals. But that's, you know, that's the next model, right? It just, it says, nope, we're not going up even further. We're going this way. So it's interesting to watch how Pluto, to some degree Pluto, but these ages, right? How these ages reflect in the sort of the rise of the architecture. Um, okay, we're going to shift gears here. And I want to talk a little bit more about um, Kyrie Irving. Because the Kyrie Irving story is not going away. And if anything, it's starting to gain some traction and uh, pick up a little steam. So let me show you, see if I can find this. Let me show you what um, Kyrie Irving is going to be theoretically um, forced to do. These are the conditions for his return. And um, I just need to send this to myself. Okay, so these are the conditions. Kyrie Irving has been suspended for five games or more, depending upon how quickly he reacts to um, that which is being uh, levied against him. So here's, here's what he has to do. He has to apologize and condemn the film he promoted. Make a $500,000 donation to anti-hate causes. Now, that money had originally been targeted for the ADL. And as much as the ADL would have loved that money, they did not want their uh, fingerprints on that because it would look like, uh, like blood money, right? Complete sensitivity training. So there's sense, he has to go through sensitivity training. Complete anti-Semitism training. So there are two types of training. There's sensitivity training and there's anti-Semitism training. Meet with the ADL and Jewish leaders. Meet with team owner Joe Sai to demonstrate an understanding of the situation. Now, Keep in mind that Kyrie Irving is an Aries, and it's so funny where people said that they didn't like his apology. Well, guess what? You're not going to get a full-on apology from the guy. It's just, it's just how he's wired. 
It's called astrology. Now, is he going to go through with these conditions? Let me read them to you again. Apologize and condemn the film he promoted. Make a $500,000 donation to anti-hate causes. Complete sensitivity training. Complete anti-Semitism training. What if he doesn't complete them? What if he flunks the anti-Semitism training or the sensitivity training? And he has to go back again and again and again. Meet with the ADL and Jewish leaders. He has to show contrition. Then he's got to meet with Joe Sai, T-S-A-I, the guy who started Alibaba, who is Chinese, whose allegiance is really towards China and not the U.S., but whatever. That shit happens all the time. To demonstrate an understanding of the situation, what do you think has to come out of his mouth? in order to play basketball again. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I saw hours and hours and hours of movies about the Holocaust. And, uh, boy, was, was, was I wrong. I went and visited three Holocaust museums personally. I sat down and had conversations with the remaining survivors of the Holocaust. And I'm just absolutely mortified by my actions. I mean, it would have to come down to something like that. I mean, it would... That and the $500,000. $500, and I know the guy's got some money. He's probably worth about 25 mil. But $500,000 is a lot of money. Anti-hate causes... That is a pound of flesh. Now, he's not the only one, though. So, Jonathan Greenblatt is on a big-time roll. Can I show you a picture of Jonathan Greenblatt? I'll just give you all the pictures of Jonathan Greenblatt. Here he is right here. This is the guy that runs the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. That's him. The Anti-Semitism Series with Jonathan Greenblatt. Chief Executive Officer, Anti-Defamation League, Wednesday, October 26th. Jonathan Greenblatt and Brooke Baldwin. It could happen. So the whole idea is to keep the specter of the Holocaust alive. That's an interesting cap. 
the whole idea here is to keep the specter of the Holocaust alive. Because as we know, the, uh, the maxim or the catchphrase is never forget, never forget. And I tried to, uh, in, in the best way I could on Sunday night, which I was a little out of it on Sunday night, but in the best way that I could on Sunday night, what I tried to attempt to explain is that astrologically we are in a window that reconnects us to the World War II timeline. And that literally Kyrie Irving's Mercury in his natal chart conjuncting Jupiter and Aries, which is at the same degree as the uh, Jupiter return at seven degrees that happened on September 1st. So it's almost like he's become this portal for this timeline to open up. And we're, we are going to be revisiting World War, we already are, we're already revisiting World War II. And the themes of um, Hitler and Kanye, I mean, all these things are, are active now. And there is a great effort that has been put forth to um, codify and crystallize history so that we, we move along a particular timeline. We live in a post-World War II world, which I've talked about. Everything that's happened, essentially, of any kind of note or merit happens on the heels of World War II. And so now here we come back to this time where the window is open again. And it's kind of like, the 90s, like the late 90s, when it felt like we were diverging sort of back to that timeline pre-11-22-63. And then what do we have? We have 9-11-2001, and the events are very much connected. So if that model is true, and I do believe it's true because I, I've looked at a lot of symbolic and astrological markers that just flesh this thing out, then we're really in this World War II window. And the people who have profited immensely um, off of a post-World War II world want to make sure that their properties are protected 100 percent. they don't they don't want a different kind of discussion or a different kind of narrative to upset the apple cart and i think this is what a lot of this is about now right this is what a lot of it's about and i even brought it up with danny on friday's show it's like you know could they sacrifice a bunch of so-called Jewish people um, in order to connect back into that, that timeline again? It's quite possible. I mean, I put up the quote by Theodore Herzl, 
And he, he said, look, it doesn't matter how many Jews have to die in order for us to, you know, get mandate Palestine. I and mean, he says this, this is the guy who's the head of the Zionist Congress, right? So I don't think there's any, um, I, don't, I don't think there's any conscience around having a cultural or religious or ethnic push if it is in the greater interests of the people that want to establish a uh, more permanent relationship to the domain. That's what I think. So even somebody who is like a non-observant Jew who just goes about their business and does the holidays and you know, whatever. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty much it doesn't eat pork. Right. That, and, 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 uh, you know, they may even have Christmas lights or whatever. Right. Like the way that this thing has, is being constructed almost has the feeling of a new Holocaust in some ways. And I think we're, we're, we're too smart, but something is happening here, right? Like the cat is out of the bag. And now this Jonathan Greenblatt is starting to dictate what Elon Musk has to do on Twitter. Now the ADL, he brought the ADL in to uh, be an advisor on so-called hate speech, right? So let's look at that. Uh, this is from the 27th of October. So this is uh, Jonathan Greenblatt's statement on Twitter. Anti-Defamation League CEO and National Director Jonathan A. Greenblatt issued the following statement regarding Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter. Despite my reservations, I was cautiously optimistic that Elon Musk would take the concerns of civil society to heart. But developments over the past two weeks have been troubling. This includes, but is not limited to, Mr. Musk warmly welcoming back Ye to Twitter after Ye made anti-Semitic comments on Instagram and was booted off the platform. I worry that this will be indicative of Mr. Musk's approach to content moderation on the platform. Further, we are concerned that Mr. Musk's acquisition of Twitter may accelerate what ADL has seen repeatedly, the pushing out of marginalized communities from social media, as with Telegram, Gab, Parler, Rumble, and other platforms that refuse to address incitement and slander in the name of free speech. Such platforms have become hotbeds for radicalism and hate. This invariably reduces the diversity of views on these services and narrows rather than expands the public conversation. I'll get to that in a minute. There are technical fixes and business model adjustments that truly could improve Twitter, but in owning a social media platform, I hope Mr. Musk will abide by the Peter Parker principle. With great power comes great responsibility. I was glad to see him tweet out to advertisers on Thursday that Twitter cannot be a free-for-all 
hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. But ultimately, Mr. Musk will be judged by his actions, not by his words. And that, and then he put out a different statement, um, which I was trying to find, a more recent one, where he's actually telling Elon Musk what to do. So here we go, right? We have Jonathan Greenblatt, who is showing up left, right, and center and determining who can say what. So what's interesting is that he's referring to Gab, Parler, Telegram, where people can say pretty much whatever they want. There's no, there's no penalty um, based on whatever it is that they say, right? None, theoretically. And he says, well, we need to open them up to have more diverse conversations. Really what he's saying is we need to open them up so that other people can get in there and counteract what they're saying so we can deploy an army of bots you know, so, so that we can get in and uh, spam the hell out of threads and derail threads. That's really what he's saying. Now, if he was truly, truly conscious and aware of, you know, what, uh, what that really meant, right? He would encourage somebody like Ben Shapiro to have Kanye on a show. It's, it's, he's asking essentially for the same thing. He's essentially asking for the same thing, right? Theoretically, he's like, hey, open this up over here so we can have more diverse conversations. Well, open up the other fucking platforms so we can have more diverse conversations. By the way, Ben Shapiro is really, really taking it on the chin. Remember I talked about this. I said that that eclipse that we had with the Scorpio moon was spot on as Mars, which is conjunct Saturn in his chart. He's got a Mars-Saturn conjunction. And he's going after he's going after Candace Owens right now. Because apparently Candace Owens retweeted something by Max Blumenthal, who happens to be Jewish. And I think he's probably more on the pro-Palestinian neoliberal side of things. And Candace Owens um, works for Ben Shapiro. She is paid by him. She's on the Daily Wire. And he called her out over a tweet in public. So this is not, this is not looking good for Ben Shapiro. I'm telling he's he's going to. All right. There's a thing called the likability factor. Whether people want to acknowledge it or not, there are people that are likable who get by further in life than people who are less likable. There's a book about it called the likability factor. And everybody knows somebody who is very likable. They may be very mediocre but they're really likable. So people keep them around. I'm sure people work with people like this. They're not great workers. They're not terrible workers, but they're the kind of people that you just like, I, just, I like this person, right? So likability is, can be a really important factor in terms of human relations.
Now, there is another part, which is the ability to be disagreeable, which separates people out from the herd. It, people who are willing to be disagreeable generally have a low likability factor. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Those people are, um, they play an important role in terms of, you know, being that at times contrarian voice in the wilderness. And we've gone over some of those people, right? Like Steve Jobs was disagreeable. Donald Trump, disagreeable. Um, I think Jordan Peterson's disagreeable. He's always getting people to kind of take the bait and whatever he says, people will, will, uh, will go. So, and when you see people that are disagreeable like that, they usually have pretty high standards. And some of them are like, you know, outright geniuses. They're just not likable people. And so we, we tolerate them in a lot of ways because they have something that sets them apart um, from the rest of the, the rest of the masses. Michael Jordan was, Michael Jordan was weird because he had this be like Mike thing. And so one part of Michael Jordan, like the public face of Michael Jordan was very likable, but the private side of Michael Jordan was highly disagreeable. So he's one of those guys that kind of got, got away with it. Muhammad Ali was a disagreeable character. Nobody really liked Muhammad Ali. Yeah, they they didn't like him because he went from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. He decided I got no beef with no Viet Cong. Right, he became a black Muslim. He started to badmouth Joe Frazier. Polarized against Joe Frazier. He's another disagreeable character, but likability can go a very long way. Candace Owens has a higher degree of likability than Ben Shapiro. Whatever you think of Candace Owens, she's got a much higher degree of likability. Ben Shapiro is one of these disagreeable characters. Now, and unless, unless, unless you really are interested in what he has to say, right? Some people think that, you know, his ability to, put facts over feelings and, you know, his mantra around so-called truth. Oh man, this, this guy tells it like it is. No, not really. He doesn't really tell it like it is. So that's another thing that's going on right now is you're seeing this rift um, inside the daily wire. Candace Owens is a Taurus. So she's not really going to back down. And by the way, um, she doesn't come for money, but she married into money. Her husband is like this British lord, and he's the CEO of Parlor. So Candace Owens and his his okay him mostly his father um, made a shit ton of money in oil and gas in England. So Candace Owens doesn't have to worry about money. She doesn't really need Ben Shapiro. Right now, everybody can say, well, all this is completely staged and it's all just theater and it's more distraction. I beg to differ. 
I think that this is uh, significant. This is this is quite significant because we're we've never seen whether they're programmed or not. And you know, you can look at Kyrie and you can look at Kanye. They they both got all kinds of Illuminati markers, whatever. And I think Kanye really suffering from deeper programming. I mean, Kyrie played with LeBron James and got on the James train. And whenever you see him do his little Illuminati, it's almost always in a Cleveland Cavaliers uniform. But Kanye, I think got, you know, I think Kanye did do the rituals and I, I think he got hacked as well. And what you're seeing is somebody who's trying to, uh, trying to break free, right? He's trying to break free. Um, I may have Darlena watch. So you guys probably know of Darlena, right? Darlena, if you don't know of Darlena, she's uh, uh, Donna, uh, Donna Dickerson's sister. And she's spoken at the last two events that we did here in the Hill Country. So Darlene and I have come to a little agreement and um, she's going to, I think once a month be on my Sunday night show. I may have her come on this Sunday night if she's into it. Although I think she's not going to be free for another couple of weeks, but she's going to come on and we're going to take one person who's in the public eye. Um, and she's going to break down their human design chart. So I, I, you know, I don't think Kanye will stop being newsworthy in three weeks. So that's, that's going to be the first chart. I want her to break down his human design chart. Cause I think it's, I, from what I understand about human design, it's interesting. So he's not going away. Kyrie, there's an NBA season going on. Like he, this is not going to go away. And what happens um, as a result of this is going to, is going to be interesting. This is, this is chaos, right? This is the chaos that comes with Aquarius. This is this is what happens. And even when we have Uranus in Taurus, that's the ruler of Aquarius. So when we get into that really disruptive energy around, you know, the Taurian nature, you know, we're we're getting into things like gold and silver and, you know, livestock and human livestock, right? So this whole Uranian piece is, again, it's erupting. And so we're having discussions about this. And what's also interesting is that when we looked at that chart on Sunday night, Uranus was in Taurus um, in World War II, just like where we have, well, not, it's close, but we have Uranus and Taurus now. And the other thing about Uranus and Taurus, talk a lot about astrology today, but the other thing about Uranus and Taurus is that Uranus moves into Taurus coming off of that 1849, 1850, 1851 period where both Uranus and Pluto are in the same sign, Aries, and something, something happens around then, right? Connected to things like um, liquefaction, you know, what we might call the mud, something happens. And then we have this thing, you know, post 1850 with the world's fairs and 
you know, it's sort of like, oh, here we go. We're, we're booting up what they would call the second industrial revolution, right? Why? Because, well, maybe they stumbled upon some things. But again, we look at some of the other things that happened too during that time, the, the burning of cities, San Francisco. This is much later. 1906 is a long way from um, 18, what, 1851, 1852. But you can see Uranus and Pluto both in the same sign as Taurus. It's remaking the world. It's a it's a destructive Uranus and Taurus is destructive. That's the energy around it. I mean, look at what happened during World War II. Huge chunks of Europe got destroyed. The West rises out of the ashes of that and becomes sort of the you know the dominant system post-World War II. Now that is changing. And the West is looking weaker than it's ever looked before, right? It's the same Uranus and Taurus energy, but it's all connected to that, that World War II period. So this is a very interesting time. And with the advent of the internet, which of course they didn't have during World War II, at least to our knowledge, um, the flow of information is just mind-boggling. It is exponential. It is omnidirectional. It's happening in all these different places and spaces, and people are drawing opinions about things faster than ever, for better or worse. So I feel like the more people like Jonathan Greenblatt and Adam Silver, and I guess Bibi Netanyahu's back in charge of Israel now, the more that they place an emphasis on the punitive actions of people who speak out of turn or don't say the right things based on whatever it is they believe is the true and proper script, the more it's going to backfire. It's going to backfire. The more that you demand, like that list of demands on Kyrie Irving, Any person with any amount of pride would sit there and look at it and go, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You're not going to put me through your forced re-education camp here just so I can dribble a ball again. And how does, how does even something like that affect somebody? Would he even be the same person after that? It's hard. It's really hard. Very hard to say. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to him. I, you know, will he walk away? If I was him, I would. And that's kind of what the Nets want anyway. That's that's a poison pill. Oh, you're not going to do that. Well, we're gonna we're going to uh, find a legal way to get out of this contract with you and stop paying you. And that could happen. That could absolutely happen. And then where does he go from there? I don't think any team in the NBA will touch him. He'll be kryptonite. There will be a memo that will go out to all the teams. And even if one owner just says, you know, screw you, we're, we're going to sign the guy. What do you think is going to happen with the ADL and uh, the community that demanded that he go through this 
kind of arduous act of contrition, they'll be right there again. And they'll demand that uh, people boycott the team, the sponsors of the team. So he's radioactive now for a while. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, who knows? Maybe he'll do all those things and keep his mouth shut and go back to playing the game, right? And not let it affect him. I just don't see him doing that, though. I, I don't see him doing it. So then if he walks away, then what? Does he still want to play basketball? You know, which league in the world? Well, he, he was born in Australia. He could go play in Australia. But don't think that the pressure that's being exerted here on him in the U.S. would be any less different than any other place. Unless maybe he played for Russia in a Russian league. But even then, it would be like, no, sorry, you can't, you can't play. So this is where we are, right? We're kind of in the midst of these weird moments in time where this World War II portal has been opened. And we're having these discussions, these memes, these ideas of fascism and Hitler and the Nazis and the Jews and the Holocaust and the Nuremberg trial and all that stuff, right? Like we are in that time wave and really Kanye, but more Kyrie, more Kyrie. Like the ADL didn't come out and punish the fuck out of Kanye, right? Kanye just started to lose his companies, but they got in hardcore with Kyrie. So it's really Kyrie who's who's the, the trigger around all of this. Now, how's that going to play out amidst the election? I Again, you're going to have people who are going to be accused of being, you know, fascists or, or, or um, white supremacists or whatever. Even if somebody like Herschel Walker wins, he'll be, he'll be accused of being a white supremacist. Herschel Walker actually uh, surprised the hell out of me. I saw him do a campaign speech. I'm like, damn, that was pretty good. Because I always thought Herschel Walker was, you know, kind of a fruit loop. I mean, I mean, he has some very different kinds of ideas. But you know what? I don't care. I, I, I embrace, you know, strange ideas. I think he wanted to be a member of the DEA. He wanted to join the DEA. He's a really interesting story. Um, so he's up for election today, right? It's going to be an interesting day. I mean, for a lot of Americans, this is the Oscars, the World Series, the Super Bowl, kind of all wrapped into one giant uh, messy burrito. And whatever your take on politics is, whether it's uh, part of our system that actually theoretically helps our system or not, at the end of the day, it's entertainment. Right. It's entertainment. And it'll be interesting to see where this all goes. I don't, I don't think it's going to go the way people think. I think they're going to just blatantly cheat again. We we've got, we've got three things here. We talked about this on Sunday night, the blatant cheat and steal. Why not? 
It's already happened before. Why, why wouldn't it happen again? Blatant cheat and steal. It's number one. And then if that's true, people will lose their fucking minds. And so that's a win-win, right? That is a win-win for the supposed other side because they get to cheat, steal, you know, thumb their nose at you. And then they get to watch people lose their minds. And if there's anybody who does anything extreme, they can say, we told you so, right? So that's really the best possible scenario to do that, to get people riled up and poke the hornet's nest, right? The other would be the quote unquote red wave, which I don't think is going to happen, but if it did, and theoretically based on what we've seen, it should. And again, I'm not here to rave the, you know, the GOP flag. It's just, it's very obvious that the other side has done a quote unquote decrepit job on purpose, by the way, and it's all by design. So theoretically in a reactionary universe, you would think here's where it's going to go. If that does happen, the other side will lose its shit, right? So we're, we're really dealing with polarization on any side of this. And then the other part is the X factor where something happens during this event. And one of the things that I looked at and talked about was whatever's going on in the Western part of the United States with California, Oregon, Washington, because of all the places in the U S that was the one that was closest to the eclipse path. Right. So keep your eye on those three States. Um, and other than that, sit back and just, you know, watch where this thing goes. It's, it's, it's like high entertainment. Oscars night is really what it is. So if you're a member uh, and you have the, uh, the email that I sent out or Michi sent out, you'll be able to, you know, be a part of what we're doing. We're going to watch the live stream, uh, the election results, hang out, chat. We'll bring up the chart. It'll be a very cool event. Uh, we did this back in 2020, but it was just a live stream. And th that was, that was a very intense experience. Because we're sitting there, we're watching this thing. And I think we were watching um, The War Room with Steve Bannon. And it was clear that at that point, this is around maybe 10 o'clock Central Time. So 11 p.m. in the East, 8 o'clock out West. It was clear that, that Trump was just cleaning the floor with Biden. I mean, it was like, you know, big leads in all these places. And Bannon had this young guy on. It wasn't Nate Silver or somebody else, but he was very, very good um, at elections and which areas. I mean, really kind of very, excuse me, very fractal. Like, oh, this area leans this way, this way, this way. And, you know, these are counties with maybe 20,000 people. I mean, he, he was that granular with it. And up until about 1030 at night, it was like, okay, this is kind of going in this direction. Now, I remember as things started to kind of go off the rails a little bit, 
um, we did a tarot reading, and I might even do one tonight. We did a tarot reading. It was mainly about about Trump, and I think I have that image somewhere. But where everything was headed was the hanged man. I'm like, oh shit, this is not good, right? This is just not good. These things. It's just gonna. This is gonna be the result of this, you know, this image of this man suspended upside down and not really being able to do anything. Now, what was interesting is that the ultimate outcome, I think, was the Ace of Wands, maybe. I don't know even where we are in terms of that continuum, but that hasn't been resolved at all. And then I remember going to bed and you could just kind of see the concern on Steve Bannon's face. And all these places now are starting to, oh, they had a power outage in Georgia. Like all these things started to happen, which again, theoretically don't normally happen. And I remember going to bed that night thinking, this is not going to be good. This, and when I woke up the next day, it was, it was even worse, right? So that was a time where, for me personally, um, I wasn't invested in Trump, but I was way less invested in what we have now. Way less. So, and when I saw that it was going to go in that direction, it was, it took me months to process that. And it wasn't just like, you know, Trump lost but it was everything that went along with it and watching results come in and then drastically change and seeing all the strange stories about what was going on in Georgia, uh, what was going on in Pennsylvania. I mean, that was really very difficult. And Mars was in Taurus during that time. It just felt like everything was taking forever and, you know, we were just walking through a, a bog of quicksand. And I didn't really recover psychically until about April. And I was able to kind of, you know, regain some inner momentum. And I did shows and everything. I mean, you guys were there. But that was a very, very difficult time. And I think it's also important to note that that's where Mars was. You know, it was in Taurus. I think it was in Taurus on January 6th. Let's do a quick look here. Give me one sec. I've got that Bonnie Tyler song in my head now. Could be worse. Could be, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. All right, so 2021, January 6th. So in January 6th, Mars is at 29 Aries. And then we deal with um, the fallout. January 6th at 20, 20, 29 Aries. 
and then we deal with the fallout of it on January 7th. And that's where Mars is in Taurus. So keep in mind that this eclipse that we're experiencing um, aligns with that Mars was on the 21st, 21st of January. I'm sort of freewheeling here. So let me look at this. Let's see what was going on January 21st. 12121. Let's see. That's around the inauguration. So this degree of the eclipse is connected to um, where Mars was on Inauguration Day. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, former Presidents Obama, Bush, and Clinton honor Biden as America's new leader in joint video. And on that day, Marjorie Taylor Greene files articles of impeachment against Biden. Biden to sign executive orders on COVID vaccinations, pandemic response on second day. Interesting. All right, so this eclipse energy is definitely connected back to that Mars and Taurus energy at 15 degrees. And what day was that? It was Inauguration Day. I think the 20th was Inauguration Day. So it's right after that, right? So it's in that zone. So there's something, there's something about this eclipse energy that takes us back to that post-January 6th time. Um, where, again, theoretically, officially, Biden is sworn in and becomes the resident of the United States. You know, like how this thing is going to go down. Just keep your eye on Washington, D.C. Keep your eye on D.C. tonight and over the next couple of days. That's my sense. We already talked about the West Coast. Keep your eye on D.C. Because that's where the action was. That's where, theoretically, it all started. And um, yeah, it wasn't, uh, wasn't that long ago, was it? God, it seems like Biden's been president forever. Okay. Um, why don't we get on out of here? You know, by the way, January 21st is National Hug Day. <laughs> I'll be sure to remind you when we get there. All right, for all you members, we'll see you tonight.
over on Zoom. If you uh, feel like having an adult beverage or a snack or whatever, it's going to be our election result eclipse hangout party. So we'll be streaming uh, some of these results live. It'll be a really good hang. And that's one of the benefits of being a member. You get to hang out with us and, you know, do things that are theoretically fun, enjoyable. You know, it's not like hanging out in the hill country for three days, but it's a little taste. All right, let me get out of here. Um, Take good care of yourself. Chantaria, you're the best. And we've got Chris on Friday at uh, True Hemp Science World Headquarters. Really looking forward to that. And then if the internet is still on, we'll have plenty to talk about tomorrow. No doubt. We are in it. We are in this fulcrum of cyclonic change. Whatever happens from this day forward is going to, it's going to change our lives for better and worse. I'm not, I'm not all in on the doom party. I'm not. And I think we'll see both. A lot will be revealed tonight. All right. Use your head in order to summer. It's real. Your heart to set what's possible. I am Robert Phoenix. You guys take good care. And as always, bye for now.